Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes best-selling author, energy therapist, and return guest to Sunny in Seattle, Amy B. Share. And the two of them will be chatting about her latest book, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. So tune in and hear about Amy's unique approach to depression and her powerful healing techniques. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150 kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes, Podcast One, all your favorite podcast places. Um, and a quick disclaimer for KPCA, the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteers, staff, or underwriters. Um, and as quick housekeeping, my website is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Um, Benny, how is everything up in Seattle? Doing very well. It's snowing. Or it did yesterday for a little bit. Yep. Yeah. What? You obviously missed out. I did. I had no idea. I mean, it's kind of a special occasion when it happens. I know, in totally Seattle. right. <laughs> so excited. Makes everyone all giddy. <laughs> was it like a like a snow that like I remember the last year we were there, there yeah. was a full seven to ten days and there yeah. were two big dumps and it was bad. So this was a light thing. A seven to ten days is a normal shutdown for the city, anyways, for like <laughs> an inch to like, you know, five inches. But no, I'm kidding about <laughs> the city of Seattle. We do great. Uh it's actually uh we got a little dusting around the area yesterday it's going to come in the same for today and then we might see one to three inches tomorrow holy moly i know oh, right I'm... Burr, burr, sledding <laughs> we're like in spring at this point in <laughs> so i think punxsutawney uh, phil was right wasn't it six more uh weeks of winter uh, i think is what that was prediction i didn't even i mean i just feel like it's been groundhog day for yeah, ages right? <laughs> so i didn't even pay attention to the actual groundhog phil day, has but... a lot of friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right well, glad to hear you're doing yeah. well up there and enjoy that snow. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, um, we have an exciting guest on the books for you today. Um, she is a return guest to Sunny in Seattle. And when I heard she had a new book coming out, I reached out immediately. So this one has been on the books for a while, actually. Um, her name is Amy B. Share. Uh, she is an award-winning and best-selling author of four books about humaning and healing. She's been featured in Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, CNN, CBS, the Los Angeles Review of Books, The Rumpus, and more. Amy's books have been translated into 13 languages and endorsed by notable authors such as Elizabeth Gilbert, Vikas Swarup of Slumdog Millionaire, and Sanjiv Chopra, MD, MACP, uh, professor at Harvard Medical School, and uh, author of Brother with Deepak Chopra. She lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and bad cat. And to find out more, her website is Amy B. Share, and Share is spelled S C H E R, AmyBShare.com. Uh, Amy, welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you again. Absolutely. So you have a brand new book. It actually, I feel like when we scheduled this interview, did your release date change just by a smidgen? 
It did. It did. It's available for pre-order now, but it's not quite out. Although these books always sneak out early, I learned after my after my first one. So it's due out February 23rd, but it usually places usually start shipping a little bit early. So it'll probably be somewhere in between the original date and now the real date, which is the 23rd. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, it is brand new. However you look at it, I already have a copy in my hands and um, I'm so excited to talk with you about it here today. Um, so you may know, Amy's one of the first books that, and this may be your first, first book, Amy, but How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. That's how you got on my radar screen. Um, yep. and, yeah. And then you went on to write um, How to Heal Yourself from Anxiety When No One Else Can. And then um, I think our most recent interview might've been your memoir, This Is How I Save My Life. Does that sound like the right order? <laughs> Yep, you're doing great. You remember okay. it even better than I do, but now I can confirm that is the right order. <laughs> okay, awesome. Okay, so this latest in the How to Heal Yourself uh, When No One Else Can series is How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. And I feel like this book could not be more timely um, because not only is this one of the biggest um, health challenges I think that we're facing as a nation and perhaps the world, but I can't imagine that it's done anything but skyrocket even more since the pandemic has, um, you know, been in, been around for a while now. Um, and so, you know, well, I just, I want to read something from the book, Amy, just to preface our conversation, because there are so many views about um, how to handle depression, what it is, treat it holistically, treat it with pharmaceuticals. And I just want to say at the outset, this is one of the things I love about your work is that you take such a gentle and open approach. So I'll just say, this is a, these are Amy's words from the book. This book is not about making a case that whatever's being done for depression is wrong. This is a book about you and knowing that if you felt like a freak who doesn't get better after following all the leads and trying all the medications, you are not alone. There are precise types of cases that doctors, natural practitioners, and psychologists have referred to Amy um, for help. Um, so with that said, Amy, um, tell us about this new book in the series um, and, and why depression? Why was this the next next one that, that you wrote. Yeah, thank you for reading that because it's so important to me for everybody that's listening and all my readers to understand that there is no right or wrong. It's whatever works for you, whatever resonates for you. We don't have to be, and I feel like this divide has become um, more apparent in the last few years. It doesn't have to be either or. You don't have to try the natural approach or medication you don't have to try therapy or X, Y, and Z. You can do all of it. Whatever works for you. I, I just insist that to heal from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, you do the part for yourself that no one else can. That's my only requirement for healing is that you show up and look at the inner landscape of who you are because a doctor can't do that. A therapist can't even reach that for, your, for you. You know, they can help you become aware but, but what I talk about in my work is looking at the patterns and the emotional baggage that no one else can and working with that aspect. That doesn't mean you can or should go off of your medication. That doesn't mean you should stop therapy. That just means that when we take a holistic approach and when we aren't getting better in the ways that we're trying, we do all the things that can help. And many times medication brings, for any condition, brings great relief, even if you don't like it and even if... Your goal is just to take the medication to bring some relief while you do the inner work. All of it's okay. So I really appreciate you starting our conversation with that. Yeah, absolutely. This, 
Yeah, it's important for people to know because people feel so bad about having to take medication or wanting to take medication or wanting to not take medication and do something else. And, it's, and, and we heal best when we listen to ourselves. We really, really do. And this book is the third, and I think I, I probably like that, that person that says that they're not going to have any more kids and then decides, oh, one more, you know, <laughs> but um, this book I think is going to be the last in the series. And it's actually my favorite book of the How to Heal series, because I think that it's for everyone. And not to say, because it's not true that everybody is, you know, depressed, but I do think, and the way that I look at depression is that depression happens on a spectrum. It's not, depression does doesn't just mean you can't get out of bed. It sometimes means you feel blah or blue or unmotivated or heavy or whatever. And so this book I really wrote for everyone who is or has ever experienced those time periods where you just feel like something's off, something's heavy, something's sad, something's you're anxious and, and you don't seem to have anxiety for any reason. You know, these types of these types of feelings are often linked to depression and not in the clinical sense, but in the way that we all use this phrase casually now, right? You know, I'm so depressed that I didn't get that job or just feel depressed because, you know, I'm sick of the winter or I'm depressed because this year has been so horrific for so many people, but more in the casual sense of that depression energy, which is actually the depression of self, the literal depression or suppression of who you are is in my perspective, what, what contributes to depression. And what I mean by that is when, when you as a human, as a person with a, you know, body, mind and spirit get buried by life because there's just too much coming at you too fast, whether it's what's happening now or all the stuff is piled up from the past. But essentially I see depression as the depression of who you are and your joyful experience because of all the stuff you're carrying. Yeah. And, and I also just want to call out real quickly before I ask another question here and just look into Benny. Um, I did have to change rooms because of some things happening outside. So if we've got an echo or I need to move again, just let me know. <laughs> I can't tell from where I sit. It's a whole new world we're living out there, Sonny. Don't worry about it. It sounds just fine. Okay. Thanks, Benny. Okay. Awesome. We were laughing before we came on air because um, usually um, there there are some leaf blowers and some weed eaters going next door. Um, Those folks are usually around on Thursdays, but it rained here yesterday, you know, in California, woo, it rained. So anyway, nobody was out working. So anyway, um, we will uh, respond to that creatively and I will broadcast from the bathroom. Um, so Amy, you, when we last spoke, um, as I mentioned, it was when your memoir came out, this is how I saved my life. And, um, I love that book because it really tracks your healing journey from beginning to, I would almost say end because when does our healing journey actually end, but it, it got you, it was a big chunk of your life. And I would like to read an excerpt from your latest book here that kind of describes your own um, story of, you know, you mentioned what, how you view depression. And I would like to just share kind of your background and your story of your own depression story. Um, and if you, uh, if you're okay with that, I'll just read as a section from the book and maybe we can use that as a springboard. Absolutely. 
Sure. Okay. So Amy writes, this is after she, she came back um, from India. Um, she went around the world for a life-saving stem cell experimental, or, or I guess um, it was kind of a, a long shot, perhaps. Uh, you went around the world for a stem cell treatment. Um, and this picks up after that. Uh, Amy writes that my body was, for some then unknown reason, undoing the health that medical advances had so graciously gifted me. It was at that low point in my life that opened me up to a new way of seeing things. I realized that the illness had not come out of nowhere, as I once thought, a robber in the night to take my life without permission. Instead, I discovered that my illness was more than just the simple equation of physical manifest, uh, sorry, physical malfunction equals physical symptoms. Even with this epiphany that there was more to be uncovered, I had to contend with the difficult question of what next? Because what do you do when you've already gone around the world for the cure? It wasn't until that point that I began to connect the dots on a stretched out map of my life between mind and body. My close examination of the link between how emotional trauma and stress affect our physical bodies was what opened up an entirely new path to health for me. Through the very same techniques uh, that Amy teaches in the book, she was able to do what no doctor or medicine could do for her, heal permanently and completely. After spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and consulting what felt like all the experts in the world, it turned out that eventually I had to stop chasing the cure and turn inward to address the deepest parts of myself. What I wish I had learned at that point about getting well and staying there is that it's impossible to set off to hunt down the things you need to fix and check me off the list forever so you can move on to happily ever after. Um, yeah, so Amy, tell us a little bit about that, that, that you know, you had this wonderful health treat or treatment in India, you had some great progress and then things, your life was looking amazing, you got married, you bought a house in LA, but you started not to feel great again, more on an emotional level than anything. Um, can you tell us how that all came about? Sure. So, so as you read, and and so so succinctly, I love where you, how you just cut everybody up and then and then read from there. I'm not a very quick storyteller, so I always admire when somebody <laughs> can do that. But I did. I went to India. I came back. I was having you know some some symptoms again, um, some pretty significant symptoms, and really looked at 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 deep emotional patterns and energy from the past um, and worked on clearing that energy, which is what brought me to full, full health. And it was several years after that, which was just a few years ago, where I had had a very difficult year personally and sort of came out of that feeling like heavy and in a haze and realized that through that I have, I was carrying some depression. Of course, this was not clinical depression, but it just, I was teary. I was exhausted. I just really, really wasn't myself. And that's sort of when I realized that our job as human beings are to be attentive to our own lives. And we can't just heal ourselves, check ourselves off the list and move on. At different points in our lives, we need different things and different things bring us joy and different things bring us healing. And it really is our job to stay attentive to our lives and our needs. And so that when these things come up, because they will, I've learned you can't just sort of, like you said, check me off the list and then move on to happily ever after. Um, when these things come up, we have tools to deal with them so that we can, we can clear that emotional energy or whatever is sort of holding us back and move forward. And it was interesting at that point in my life where I felt like I had some depression energy. Um, when I talked to people around me, you know, from 
my friends who are doctors to my friends who do totally different types of jobs and just everybody who was feeling this way. What I realized was we had sort of lost the tethers to our own core, who we are, what we needed, what made us happy. And, and like I mentioned earlier, this happens often because we're buried by life, right? This was a year year for me where somebody in my life was struggling um, with a physical condition and, and really, really was hard for me to deal with and not be able to help all the time and all the things that, you know, humans deal with when somebody they love is suffering. And so I realized at that time, it was just time to sort of do a sweep of my life and my body again and release all the stuff, all the emotional stuff that I had been gotten buried under while I was too busy in some sense, um, just, trying to keep up with life, which is what so many of us have been doing for the last year, right? It's hard to, you know, and I know this as somebody who, who does this work, but as much as I, as much as I do to release, you know, stuck emotional energy and, and, you know, work on emotional patterns and trying, you know, to not worry because that doesn't always help and all of these things, when we are trying to survive, we are very much in survival mode and we can't really process all of it during a time of trauma. And so I think that's what a lot of people are going through now is realizing how their last year has caught up to them, has dumped a bunch of stuff on top of them that that now they need to sort of uncover themselves from and kind of come out, out of these, these patterns that we've all been in for a year. Yeah. And one of the things you talk about in the book, um, that it, it can be a lifetime of accumulating these things. Sometimes it's even inherited or potentially past life. Um, and we may tie it to, oh, it was the pandemic, but perhaps it is actually triggering or bringing up things that have accumulated over time. And the pandemic was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Is, is that accurate? Yes. Yes, that's accurate. Because most of the time when people come to me and they say, I'm so stressed out, you know, by my job or financially or whatever these things are, there is past trauma or emotional energy that's getting triggered. It's not just happening now. It's happening now, but you're also reliving all the times that happened in the past. This is especially true for for a time like this during the pandemic, where there's so much collective energy and trauma in terms of everyone experiencing so much. And it is bringing up a lot. It's bringing up the inequities in society that so many of us um, face or are just realizing other people face maybe before realizing this for the first time. It's bringing up our own um, maybe generational traumas around our parents and grandparents who went through really difficult times that were scary just like this or similar to this. Um, it's bringing up a lot of maybe past trauma around, you know, medical systems or political divides or whatever it may be for people. It's not just this, even though just this would be enough (laughs) so much, but, but it's a lot of other things that we've accumulated during our lives that then come up or triggered or sort of poked or reawakened, um, during a time like this. And that's why, even though, it can be such a struggle right now. I always tell people we should use this this struggle as an opportunity to do what we can to clear some of this old emotional energy and baggage using, you know, my techniques or whatever techniques people feel comfortable with and, and resonate with so that 
when something happens again, which unfortunately because of life, it will, we are only dealing with what's happening in the current and not the last, you know, however old you are, the last however many years of your life of stuff you haven't dealt with, because that's what makes it harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to return to something when you were talking about what depression is and what characterizes it. And, and this is a quote from the book. Depression is a side effect of being buried under our lives and because of that cut off from ourselves. And I, I just wanted to ask you personally, Amy, you know, when you got connected back to yourself, what did you learn about your true self that you know you now need to stay connected to and honor that something maybe unique to you? Yeah, thank you for asking this. This is this is an interesting question. I always love when when people ask a question so personal because I think that it's important that we talk about these stories because we don't always recognize. People sometimes ask me in my first book, I made a list. I had a client that said, could you tell me what some of your emotional patterns were that you feel contributed to your body being so stressed it was sort of prone to chronic illness? And mm -hmm. I ended up putting that list in the book, even though it was really personable because personal because we need to see what this looks like. For me, one of the things, and I think maybe the biggest thing, was to realize that I am constantly evolving and that I constantly need to check in and ask myself the question, what do I want now? What do I want now? What's important to me now? Because for me, who's, who can tend to be a people pleaser, who can tend to be a helper, helperolic or, you know, I have helperitis, I call it, that I want <laughs> to help everybody all the time. Um, and combined with that, I can be a perfectionist, so I like to do everything super gung-ho. I can lose sight of, act, of what I actually want in the moment, what, what is important to me, what feels good to me. So for me, I really learned after that year that I struggled and sort of came out of it feeling pretty heavy and depressed was that I had lost the connection to myself and what mattered to me. And I think this is a big part of depression. It's sort of grief over our unmet you know, desire, you know, needs, needs and, and wants and aspirations for ourselves. And so when we lose, tr when we lose that, when we lose this sort of core understanding and connection to what we need, what we want, what we dream and hope for ourselves, we are grieving maybe even unconsciously over the loss of those things, the disconnection from those things. And that's part of what this depressive energy is. So for me, it's, it's not to assume that what I wanted a year ago is still what makes me happy today. It's, it's that I need to keep reassessing because I keep changing and because life keeps changing and because I feel like I've lived a million lifetimes with, you know, I'm in my early forties, but I was sick for, for, an entire, very sick for an entire decade of my life. And I feel like maybe I'm not on exactly the same track as everybody else. And I, I think we're also individual in this way, but I want to see myself as somebody who maybe is coming to things late or changing my mind more often because, you know, I'm living, I'm sort of living at a different pace and I have lived at a different pace than maybe some of my friends who've decided on a career and are done for life or have decided on a place to live and are done for life. I'm still feeling like sometimes I'm going back to the 20s that I missed most of the regular sort of milestones of the 20s and questioning some of the things maybe I would have questioned then if I wasn't in bed. So I think this is important for anybody to look at is not to sort of lock our lives in and then forget about them. We need to keep coming back to 
are there changes I should make emotionally, physically, in our in my environment, and and being very very conscious, especially um, in terms of understanding that not everybody has the same access just to throw up their lives in the air and change whatever they want. Not everybody has the financial means to move. Not everybody has, you know, we, we have limitations, but within the limitations of our own lives, are we doing what we need to do to, to help, to help live the life that we truly want to. And it's really important. I could not agree more. And Usually when I read books for the show or books generally, I keep a running quote list in my little note-taking app. And I, of course, pulled quotes from your book to add to my general quote list that I want to return to. And one of the ones, I just want to read this because it speaks to what you just said. And I have found it to be true in my own life. And I have also found that for many people, myself included and clients that I work with, we need this permission. Um, You write that My truth is a moving target that I must be willing to capture with new curiosity and trust when it arrives. It is one of the primary obligations one has in life. And um, when I decided to leave my marriage or when I decided to leave the practice of law, when I moved from my home state, um, I got a lot of, not a lot, but some pushback. And I just wanted to share this. I, I just really appreciate you sharing that, Amy, from your life. Because I know there are folks out there listening who um, think, well, I made a vow, I made a promise, I, but this was what I committed to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and it's okay to have your truth change. And if anybody else needs to hear that out there, um, (laughs) you can just read Amy's book and this quote and hear these stories and know that it's okay for your truth to change. And um, yeah, that happens for- Yeah. I would even go a step further and say, if your truth hasn't changed in 10 or 20 or 30 years, you're probably not listening to it, right? (laughs) Okay. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I know that was a little bit of a digression there, but I thank you so much, Amy, for sharing that. Um, Yeah. And it's okay. I'm looking at Benny here and Benny, is it okay if we forego our break? Amy, are you okay if we forego our break just to continue our conversation? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Um, so you also wrote, and I just want to ask about this, that this particular book in the series, uh, you write was your greatest challenge, a privilege, but also an insurmountable amount of pressure. Why was that about this book? Oh, this book, you would just have to ask my wife the, the, the (laughs) pressure of this book. Um, I think a few reasons I mean, I think one somewhere in me, I knew this was probably going to be my last of the healing book, but I also feel like it had the most amount of pressure because, um, because of the topic. Um, depression is, you know, is, it has affected each of us in our own way. And I wanted to get it just right. I wanted to, to share everything without sharing so much that it became overwhelming and nobody read the book, right? Like nobody who feels like crap wants to look at a book that's 500 pages. It's too overwhelming. <laughs> I wanted to bring my lightheartedness to uh, my lighthearted approach and, and sort of my easy way of doing things to a topic that is really, really heavy without minimizing it for anybody. I mean, there were just so many sort of, um, there were just so many reasons that this book was so much pressure for me. And eventually, and this is, this was like the first few months I was writing it. And after that, I just sort of, you know, every book I started to like, 
you know, it has to be just right. And, and, you know, you know, Sunny, as a, as an author, there are times when you hate it. And then by the end of the day, you love it. And this book was my, my greatest challenge for sure. And at the end of the book, it was absolutely my favorite book I wrote. And I, and I couldn't think of anything I wanted to change. And it just, this book was a huge journey for me. And I felt like it was just so important to cover it, to cover depression in a way that others hadn't because I wanted this book to bring a new hope and a new understanding to people. And I do feel like I definitely achieved that, but it's hard to know you have X number of pages and you got to get it all in there. Well, I will say from having read it this week, and I actually did exercises along with the book, it is incredibly approachable. Uh, and I feel like you hit that balance of all of those things you were holding at one time. I just, from where I sit, you did it beautifully. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's actually get into some of the nuts and bolts of what makes your approach um, unique. And I will say it was the same. I had the same feeling when I read your book, How to Heal Yourself from Anxiety When No One Else Can. You, How you come at it resonated and how you characterize anxiety or how you characterize um, depression is unique, I think. And it also resonated for me more than other definitions and approaches had. Um, you approach depression from um, the energy system or an energy therapy approach. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. So energy therapy is a way of working with the body's subtle energy system, which all of us have. And energy therapy and energy psychology, which is a specific sort of subset um, of techniques that I use, are, are working with the energy system in relationships to thoughts, beliefs, and emotions. And so instead of, you know, talking about how we feel and working out our problems from like a sort of logistical or, or, or um, you know, mental aspect, we're actually releasing stuck emotional baggage from the body's energy system deeper within the body um, that helps us sort of shift more naturally. And I, I don't want to say without trying, because we have to try a little bit at least to make sure we, we do the exercises and work through the programs. Um, but essentially what we're doing is we are clearing the stuff stuck, the stuck stuff from your past out of your body. And many people are familiar with energy therapy, maybe don't use that term, but acupuncture is a type of energy therapy. Ayurveda, uh, Ayurvedic um, practices are a type of energy therapy. All of these work with the body's energy system. And so this is just a specific way to do it. And I use various techniques, but some tapping techniques, which have become more popular over the last few years, thank goodness, um, and, and, and a variety of techniques some of which I learned and some of which I created during my own healing journey that essentially work with releasing energy from the, from the energy system and rebalancing the energy system. There is a thought that, that imbalances show up in the energy system before they show up in the physical body. So when we go back to the energy system, we are actually working to release this stuck energy or these imbalances at the root versus working backwards with trying to fix the symptom. And when you were talking about what is getting stuck in there, I know I have talked to some people who are like, oh, it's just emotions. What is, that's just, that's nothing. And you, I love the research that you include from Dr. Candace Pert 
Um, I'll just read this here and maybe we can talk a little bit more about when people think, oh, energy, oh, emotions, what that that can't be a real thing. Like, well, it, <laughs> it really is. The late Candace Pert, a well-respected neuroscientist and the author of Molecules of Emotion, wrote that unexpressed emotions are literally lodged in the body, not just a product of the mind. She summed up their effect perfectly. A feeling sparked in our mind or body will translate as a peptide being released somewhere. Organs, tissue, skin, muscle, and endocrine glands, they all have peptide receptors on them and can access and store emotional information. This means the emotional memory is stored in many places in the body, not just or even primarily in the brain. So can you speak a little bit more about what's actually happening um, over the course of a human life? You know, we've, we have minor and major traumas, we have emotions, we have beliefs, all of the things. Um, what do we need to know about it, Amy? Yeah, so so Dr. Pert actually, you know, she's a, she was a neuroscientist and, and is, is great for science geeks like me. But what that mm -hmm. really means is that our emotions directly impact our physical body. That's what that means. That our emotions ha are actually tied into what our body does and feels, how our body functions. And why that matters is because emotions are not just something we feel fleetingly. If and when they get stuck in the body, and it's normal that they get stuck because we're humans and we don't let things go very quickly, they actually have a direct and can have a negative impact on the physical body. If you have enough stuck emotional baggage, and we're not only talking, and I talk about this in the book, not only, you know, major traumas, but just stuff from your past that you haven't let go of, um, and patterns that stress the body. I talk about this in the book, but not having boundaries, perfectionism, all of these things stress the body in various ways. Um, these, these emotions drive our behaviors and these behaviors in many ways drive our lives. And so the reason that releasing emotional energy from the body is important is because then it can help the body's organs, muscles, glands, and, and physiological functions to work properly, to rebalance themselves. And so that's really the idea here, whether you're struggling with depression or maybe, you know, an ongoing a physical illness is that when we release emotional baggage from the body, it always is a, has a supportive effect on the body. It, it always is beneficial for the body. We're not saying that we're so emotional that we, you know, we cause depression. It's not a blame game. It's only the fact that we know that our emotions have a direct impact on the physical body. And if we can work with the emotions in a beneficial way, it can have a direct and positive impact on the physical body. Where essentially, I look at it as letting go of stress from the body. And only good things can happen when we let go of stress. Now, people usually think of stress as, you know, having to get somewhere on time or all those things they have to get done at work. But the deeper stresses like holding on to past trauma, like always trying to please everybody in your life, those are the things that I find really impact physical health, less so than running around trying to do a million things every day. And so that's why what Dr. Pert talks about is so relevant is because it sometimes helps us to understand emotions as something other than this sort of abstract thing that annoys us because we start feeling things we don't want to feel and then how do we get rid of them but really as a as a way as a as a way that the that we can work with our bodies and and these emotions not only have you know an impact on our 
physical functioning as far as our organs, glands, and muscles, but our neurochemistry, right? That's what she's talking about, is the way that our brain functions. And the way that our brain functions matters for everything and everybody, whether it's physical symptoms they're experiencing or or a chemical imbalance or feeling down or feeling depressed. And so it's it's just sort of another way in to the body to clear stuff out to help to help support the healing process. And we've talked a little bit about, we've mentioned the word trauma a couple of times. Um, and I would love for you to clarify what you mean by that, because maybe there's someone out there who thinks, well, I, I'm not, you know, a, uh, a refugee from a war. I am not a survivor of sexual assault. Well, I don't have any major traumas to speak of. Well, this isn't, is this even relevant to me? Would I, how would I even know? Yeah, and this is this is how I missed this for so long. You know, I was going all over the world to to heal myself and what and missed what was always right there, which is that nothing huge or terrible has to happen to us to get traumatized. We can be traumatized by any experience that negatively affected us which we have not processed and let go of. This can be the time you were embarrassed in class in second grade. This can be the time that you moved away from your best friend in sixth grade. Trauma doesn't only have to do with what happens to us. It mostly has to do with how our body responds to and holds that experience. And, and, and a lot of times I tell people too, it's the age you are when something happens. If something happens to you when you're 30, you're probably going to respond very differently than when you're four, right? Because you have different mm -hmm. ways of coping. You have different life experience. And so sometimes in the past when I work with clients and, you know, we end up coming, coming to work with traumas that we're both saying, well, it doesn't seem that traumatic. Or they say to me, oh my gosh, so much worse has happened than, you know, my mom forgetting to pick me up at school when I was 10. And I say, yeah, but when you're 10, you're totally thinking of it in a different way. Somebody forgot to pick you up now, you would be able to like get a cab, go to the bus, walk and feel safe. You know, when you're 10, you don't have the same coping mechanism. So things affect us differently than they would when we're older. And, you know, a lot of times if we're alone, when we're experiencing something scary, that affects us differently than it would had we been with other people. So there's all these different things, but trauma is definitely not only the sort of big things we think about as being traumatic. We can be traumatized by anything if we don't process it and let it go. And so when we look at it through that lens, we're probably all sitting here thinking how much trauma we might be carrying. And really for most of my clients, the thing that's been in the types of traumas that have been keeping them stuck are the seemingly smaller things we've been talking about. Why? Because the bigger things they already know about, they have gotten support and help around those. They are aware of them. They've probably done some work around them. The things that get stuck are the things we go, oh, that wasn't a big deal. I don't need to deal with that. Well, guess what? The whole idea of you saying it's not a big deal is part of how we end up ignoring all of these things from our life and then end up with a stack of them on top of ourselves that we have to unbury. So it just, it's just a different way to look at it. And so if we are thinking about now, everybody's in their mind going, okay, well, well, gosh, what might qualify? <laughs> Someone's thinking, oh my gosh, there's probably things hiding in there that I, how will I even know? And one of your approaches, and it's a big section or a big chapter in the book, is on muscle testing. Uh, and I, I know that there are people in our audience who know about muscle testing, probably use it already. But 
the way that you explain it in the book and the way that you go about it is so, um, it just makes it so clear cut to me. Um, you, you write, well, I'll share some of this maybe after we talk about it a little more, but how is muscle testing relevant to really understanding what emotions may still be trapped or what uh, traumas might still need to be explored that we're not even aware of? Yeah, so muscle testing is, or sometimes called applied kinesiology, is a technique that helps us tap into our body's own wisdom or tap into our subconscious mind to figure out what's stuck. Our subconscious mind is like a tape recorder for better or for worse and knows everything that's ever happened to us. And muscle testing is a way of using the muscle's response in the body to sort of read or interpret what, what is stressing or weakening our body. And all we do is we make, and I walk you through it in the book, but we make certain statements or ask certain questions of our body while also testing our muscles in certain ways to see if our body is holding trauma, stuck emotions. And this is the first book where I put this at the very back of the book. Why? Because some people become intimidated by or overwhelmed with muscle testing. You don't need it to do my work. This is the first book that I used my you know, decade of experience essentially in working with thousands and thousands of clients to, to lay out what the, most, um, what the most necessary issues are for most people to address. And so you'll go through the entire book using my experience of knowing what you need to clear and release. It's only when you get toward the end of the book that you'll have the opportunity, if you want to, to delve in deeper and find very specific experiences and emotions to your body. But luckily, at this point in my work, um, and I, 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 I can pretty much say for, for many conditions, including depression, of course, which things are most commonly needing to be released, which patterns, which beliefs, which types of emotions. So you don't need it, but it is a really, really cool technique to figure out what is stuck. So what ages might you be holding trauma from? That's one thing that I walk you through in the book to, to learn muscle testing for what beliefs what things are you believing like I don't matter um the world is dangerous um I need to you know I need to make people happy or I'll be unloved those are some of the the beliefs that many people who experience depression have and a belief is just an idea that's not necessarily fact so something that you're believing that's changing your perspective on how you see the world, how you see yourself, how you live every day. And so muscle testing is a way to find out what specific things are relevant to you that you can work on. By the time you get through the book, you'll have worked on the main things that I know will help you release much of this depressive energy. But it's always a curious and fun process. I always love, I don't know how you feel about muscle testing, Sunny, but I always think it's so fun to be like, what crazy stuff is stuck in my body? And I say yeah. that in a loving way. <laughs> but it gives you sort of a next level um, roadmap to figure out what else do I work on? How can I, how can I use all the techniques that Amy taught me through the book? And how can I now target it to specific things that Amy couldn't have known because she doesn't know me and what happened to me at age eight and what happened to me at age 43 or whatever it is. So muscle testing is just a way to get more information to know what to continue working on. 
And you were exactly right. It really, I went through the book in an order. And as you mentioned, it is at the end. And I just want to say for anyone out there listening, while I have never been um, identified as depressed for a long period of time, I've never been diagnosed as clinically depressed. I, I, or, and of course, when I interviewed Amy about the book, How to Heal Yourself from Anxiety When No One Else Can, again, not something that I've ever been diagnosed with, but this book was incredibly helpful for me because we all have these things. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I know, Amy, you sometimes get the, the folks, you've got, you know, MDs and physicians, you've got naturopaths, you've got psychologists who are sending folks your way because it's the, you, you are sometimes, well, many times able to help the folks that no one else can. Um, and can you speak a little bit to um, the people that you generally work with? Yeah, and and I do want to say the reason that I can often help people when no one else can is not because I'm doing anything. It's because I'm teaching the person to look at things that no one else can help them with except for themselves. So it has nothing to do with me, which is super cool. It has to do with with the guidance that my work is is giving them that allows them to do the piece that nobody else can do whether it's the best, you know, integrative physician or the best psychiatrist or the best psychologist, there are parts of us that only we can get to. And this is one of those things where um, maybe using muscle testing or clearing beliefs isn't something anyone can do for us, which is both annoying because it's so much easier to go and get fixed somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And also super cool because this this is free with the cost of a book or you can get it. The library always carries all of my books. Um, you know, I have YouTube videos for those who, you know, don't have access to a book or whatever it is. This is the part that can be the hardest because we have to do it for ourselves, but it also doesn't require us to go anywhere every week. It doesn't require a high fee, uh, you know, or even health insurance to do. So it's, it's so freeing in so many ways that once you learn these techniques, you have them forever. And, um, and so the people that I work with, it's changed a little bit actually in the last, you know, the last 10 years when I first started this work, doctors and, you know, um, and, you know, complementary practitioners or alternative practitioners would only send me people when nothing else worked. Now you can see how much has changed in our sort of, you know, landscape of how we're looking at, at chronic illness, at depression, at anxiety, because now doctors are sending me people to me as part of a holistic approach, which is so much better, right? Because then a person has support from all, all sides. And so I think what, what used to happen was doctors would, would only send people when they got to the point of, um, I don't know what else to do. Nothing's working, except I do know one of my other patients went to this lady <laughs> and that did really help. So why don't you try it? I mean, that's how I used to, that's how people used to find me. And now it's like, now, you know, now it's, it's changed so much where, where many physicians are seeing whether it's my work or somebody else's work, because now they're so they're you know, the, People, people's eyes have been opened so much, but that when a patient is doing emotional work, the treatments that their doctor is giving them are working better. The medications are working faster. They're seeing that this makes a difference. And so now 
a lot of times, and this is all thanks to patients over the course of years going to their doctors and saying, hey, I'm doing this cool thing. I've tried this other thing that now many doctors are accepting this more because the patients have demanded that that they be more accepting of these other, you know, these other holistic approaches that can be super helpful in conjunction with what their doctor is already helping them with, or sometimes if that's not working on its own. So I've seen a real shift. I used to get like every case I got was like, nobody ever could help them and they didn't know what to do. And now it's more like the, the energy sometimes is that, but a lot of times is my doctor said that everything will, will heal faster if I do this, or I'll feel better faster if I do this. And I like that because that's better for patients. That feels better, right? When your doctor yeah. is helping you find all the ways that you can feel better. And some of them, you know, including my work that don't really cost anything. And, and I like this too, because otherwise, I don't know how people out there felt, but when I was going through a rough time, when I was really sick, it was so terrifying for me to think that there was nothing I could do in between doctor's appointments or God forbid the medication they gave me didn't work. I would just have to sit around and wait and feel terrible. And now there's a lot that you can do on your own that can help you. Many people, I, I am not a meditation person or a yoga person. I so wish I was, but I'm not. <laughs> but now people can do yoga or meditation or my thing is energy work, of course, or energy work. These things are things we can do while we're waiting to see if the other things are going to help us. So it's, there's been such a shift. And, and now I get called in to major medical institutions to actually train their doctors and staff on some of these techniques so that they can be used in the hospitals. It's like such a different world from when I started, but I'm so happy about it. I love it. And I just think from more of like, we back off to more of the eagle view or the cosmic view of this, it just feels like where we're headed as a species and in the evolution of consciousness is that we are becoming empowered. We aren't just handing over our healing or our bodies or our um, uh, emotional work to other people to do to us. It is us actually taking the reins and knowing ourselves and feeling empowered to do a lot of these things for ourselves or in, comp uh, I guess, in conjunction with or complementary to what we're doing with other practitioners. So I just, it's so cool, Amy. I think you have been, this is such a calling and through your own, the Lyme disease and through your own emotional challenges, like you have been such a beautiful living example of what is possible and an inspiration for where we are headed. Um, I'm just so, I know that you have been through a lot to get to this point, but oh man, do you feel that was all part of your story <laughs> to get here? I do. I do. It would have been nice if I could see this was all going to be part of my story because I tell people... <laughs> I promise, I promise when you come through this and you're on the other side, you're going to be like, oh, I get it. But while you're going through it, it's so annoying. You're like, what's the point of this? Why am I suffering? You know, um, I think I always had a feeling it would be, it would make sense one day, but yeah. boy, would it, would it help to see how it was going to make sense while you were struggling, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to make sure that um, folks also, of course, we've been talking about Amy um, and, and you're Today, we're speaking with Amy B. Sher. I should have done that halfway through. Um, last name is S-C-H-E-R. 
Amy B. share uh, her latest book, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. Um, and if you want to connect with Amy, she has a few online events coming up. Um, I want to make sure people are aware of that. Uh, of course, the website, if you go to her events page, everything is listed there. Um, so that's amybshare.com. Um, but to just let you all know, on February 18th, um, there is a, an event, an online event. It's a book launch, uh, book, I guess you're going to do a talk and some demonstrations. Um, it's through New York Open Center. But again, just go to amybshare.com if you want to know more uh, about that event. The information is there. And then another one on March 1st. Um, a live healing session. And I think um, both of these events, you get a, uh, when you register, there will be a book, the book included with it. Um, so just want to make sure everyone is aware of how to stay connected with you. Amy has lots of opportunities there. Um, you know, Amy, we've got just about two minutes left. Is there, uh, I, of course, I have many questions I can ask you, but I'm just curious, is there a quick um, energy therapy demo we could do a little tapping or something that might be good for anybody out there? Sure. This will be good for everybody out there. And I just okay. want to say all of my, all of my events that I do are experiential. So you will not sit and listen to me talk <laughs> any workshop I do. We will do the majority of it is doing energy work to help you feel better by the end, but let's do something right now to demonstrate that. So we're going to tap alternately on our temples. So what we're going to do is put your right fingertips on your right temple, your left fingertips on your left temple, and you're just going to start tapping while I talk alternately, right tap, left tap, right tap, left tap. What you are doing here, and there's a, this is a very truncated version since we just have a couple minutes. What you're doing here is you are, you are um, tapping on what is called the triple warmer meridian. It's an energy pathway in the body that governs the stress response, the fight, flight, or freeze response, which can be activated by, by emotional baggage, beliefs, um, you know, stress in your day. And when you're tapping it, you're actually releasing and calming that energy element down to release stress and help rebalance your body. So anytime you're feeling stressed, if you want to sit for a few minutes, you can even do it for 30 seconds, but you could do it for a few minutes and tap alternately on your temples like this, this as you just allow yourself to feel or think about the stress that's really bothering you even if you don't know what it is and you're just thinking oh I'm so depressed I feel so yucky I can't get out of bed today is too much whatever it is if you sit there and just allow whatever the truth of your of the moment right now is to come up and you do the temple tapping it will actually help release stress from the body and rebalance your body's energy system to help you feel better and this is such an easy thing you can do kids can do this everyone can do this and it's just such an easy thing to do you can do it while you're talking on the phone while you're watching tv it doesn't matter just a quick and really really effective technique Thank you so much for sharing that with the audience. Um, and for those out there listening, that is just one of many of the, the different techniques in the book, and they are all equally approachable um, and doable for, <laughs> for anyone, uh, me included. Like I said, I practiced as I went along with the book. So we are at the end of our hour. Um, Amy, thank you so much for coming back to Sunny in Seattle. And I'm just congratulations on this latest book. It's been such a joy as usual to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. And one last time, I've been talking to Amy B. Share. Last name is S-C-H-E-R. The website is amybshare.com. And you can find out more about this latest book, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. Thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to Sunny in Seattle. This is your host, Sunny Joy, signing off.